1: Good morning and welcome to Autism Live for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I am Shannon Penrod and Nancy Allspa Jackson was here and then I don't know what happened. She might be having technical difficulties, but she will probably be joining us. I hope she'll be joining us any minute because uh, it's called Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And last week we could only have her on the phone for a couple of minutes, but this week we supposedly have the technology where you can see Nancy too, which will be super Awesome. Uh, while we're waiting for Nancy, a couple of things that I want to update you guys on. We're so thrilled to be here. We're coming to you live from many different locations all at the same time. Um, I And, and I want to thank um, the folks at Restream for making this possible and uh, the folks at Zoom for making this possible. That's the way that we were able to do the picture and sound and get this to you in the many different places that we are. Uh, which brings me to my next thing. I hope that as you're watching that... You are finding places that are convenient for you to watch the show and also to come to comment. You can be commenting on the live show in lots of different places, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Periscope. You also can comment directly on our homepage which is autism-live.com. When you go there, there's a lot to do on that page, right? Um, I've been talking, so many of you were saying, okay, Shannon, now, Now is when we need the toy guide. People have been asking me, you know, what games should I be playing with my child? Uh, I just wanna remind you that if you click on the toy guide at the top of our Autism Live page, you'll see all the different age ranges and descriptions of toys that we have recommended. If you wanna know previous years toy guides, click on the blog. And on the blog, we have those uh, posted and they're right at the top for previous years. And so there's some great board games in there. There's some great games if you're looking for something to occupy your time with your kiddos. I also did a blog separate from there uh, about the 101 things that you can be doing at home right now. And I'm adding to it. I'm, I'm a week behind. You guys have been sending me so many things to do, but there is plenty to do. And you don't have to invent a wheel. We're trying to give you, we gave you, I think we're at 106 on, on that uh, post. And that's on our Facebook page. Um, and maybe, uh, Traven, if we can repost it on this, uh, transmission so that people can have access to that and not have to go hunt for it. Nobody wants to hunt for anything. Right. Um, but want you to know that we've got things to do, but also on our homepage, autism-live.com at the very bottom, there is a chat button. And if you click that, it opens up a little box and you can write in there and it shows up here on my screen as well. So lots of different ways for you to um, chat with us, lots of different ways for you to be here. Nancy and I have a great show for you today. Uh, We've got two amazing guests. Um, I'm spitting all over my computer. (laughs) Excuse me. It's like, I don't know what, extra, extra excitement today. You know why? Can I just tell you what I got to do this morning? I was on the phone with Dr. Temple Grandin because she is going to be. She has agreed to join us uh, for our show next Thursday for World Autism Awareness Day. I'm very excited, um, and you know what else? Um, I I love talking with Temple. Uh, Honestly, she is one of the coolest people I've ever met in my entire life. And I love just having a conversation with her. Um, and so this morning, you know, I was just saying, how are you doing? And she said, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine. And she asked how I was doing and we were just chatting. And she goes, okay, are you by your computer? And I said, yes. And she goes, I want you to uh, do, go into Google and go to Google Images and Google protein symmetry. And I said, okay. And, and she's like, do it, do it now. And so I did it, and these gorgeous pictures came up on my screen, and I said, wow, these are gorgeous, but what am I looking at, Temple? And she goes, that is art inside your body, okay? How's that for starting a Friday morning? Um, And it's cool, you guys. I encourage you, get in a separate window, Google Images, Protein Symmetry, and Temple Grandin, that is art inside your body right? I, it's super fabulous. Um, it's, it's got me all Twitter pated. Very exciting. So anyway, but we, we've got this great show for you this morning. We've got two incredible experts who are going to be joining us. First up is Vince Redmond. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he is going to be talking with us about anxiety. And we all have to be honest, we are all experiencing new and different anxiety and different pockets in different places, maybe even than we were before. And if we are, then absolutely our kiddos are too. So he's going to be talking with us about that. And then we have Leah Hirschfeld who's going to be with us and she is going to talk about research. And I'm not even sure what research she's sharing today, but I'm excited because Leah always is a, a bright light um, sharing with us things that help us to make choices based on what actually, what we know from science. I absolutely love that. Instead of guessing, you know, a lot of times we see news stories and I, you know, it says, the headline says, you know, you know be, be careful, don't brush your hair, right? And then you read it and it's like, you know, don't brush your hair if you're on fire, right? And the headline did not convey that at all, or don't brush your hair you know, uh, if if, they're, if you're close to fire and you put gasoline on your hair, right? So, <laughs> Leah helps us to figure out what these studies are, what they mean, and do they actually apply to us and uh, where they don't. So super excited about that. Um, I also uh, wanted to say to you guys that uh, there's a lot going on right now. Um, and, and I don't know about you, but I feel, just bombarded in my inbox in my email, it you know ooh, feels very overwhelming, um, and and then of course if you're turning on the television, you can feel very bombarded too. So I, I do want to encourage you though um, that we've got a lot of exciting things happen. There's a way in your inbox that you can flag things where you go, okay, this I want to be notified when it comes in. Um, we are sending you once a week a postcard to tell you who's going to be on the show for the next week. And uh, I do think that that's an exciting thing. Like, you know, we just found out today that Dr. Temple-Granon is going to be on Thursday, but the whole week next week is off the chain, as the youngins say. So uh, I hope even in the midst of all of the the craziness that, first of all, you know, we're, we're here. We're here Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific time to 11 a.m. Pacific time, and then it podcasts to the different places where you can get in contact with us. Traven, are we able to show that card, um, full screen that card with all the different places where you can watch us? You know, we used to do it in lower thirds, but not in this technology. Uh, there it is. Look at Trayvon, how good he is. So check out, these are all the places that you can connect with us and the different addresses. Um, it's pretty easy. If you look for Autism Live on whatever it is that you're watching, I always forget to say that we're on Spotify. Um, it's a free download in all of these places. Um, so find us where you, where it's convenient, but know that we've got some pretty exciting stuff for you. Um, and a lot of it tailored just to those of you who are home and find yourself either with diminished therapy or with no therapy. We are are trying to tailor as much of our programming to either helping you with that or giving you something to distract you from that. right? Um, and, and specifically answering your questions, because this is not an easy road right now. I think everybody can agree and it's not easy for anyone, but when you throw in one or two or three kids on the spectrum or one kiddo on the spectrum and three kids that are not on the spectrum and you're trying to figure out the homeschooling thing, right? So um, these are some of the ways that you can connect with us. Thank you, Traven. So uh, we wanted, I don't, don't, Nancy hasn't found her way back in here, but we wanted to um, start the show with some news. And I think the biggest news that we have across the board is that the CDC, with all that it has to do, this week came out with new prevalence numbers for autism. Is that a little shocking to you? It's a little shocking to me. I get it that they have different departments and things, but um, it's, you know, I, I, we wanted to make sure we talked about it here because it's not much of a headline anywhere because of everything going on with COVID 19. But in fact, the CDC comes out every two years with new prevalence numbers. We always want to um, say that this, how this uh, information is aggregated, they take 11 counties around the United States, and they look at eight-year-olds in that county, and they do this every year, so that they're constantly comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges. So they look in the same 11 counties, and from that, they derive information, and and it's, you know, it's like a litmus test. They're not actually counting the number of autism. They're looking at the prevalence of eight-year-olds. So one of the things that we want to know with the autism community is that, um, you know, if your child is five, they're not yet counted in the prevalence, right? Um, so that's a very interesting thing, but uh, they're looking at eight-year-olds in those 11 counties. Uh, two years ago, the number was one in 59. This year, the number is one in 54. Now, through looking at other data, we had already, um, other, other places take the data in different ways and um, already, A year ago, this number was given to us and said that this is a more accurate number. Um, And that was uh, looking at uh, pediatricians and how often in a school it's reported. So um, I don't think this is a shock to anybody, except that it continues to be the thing of saying, okay, that, that number, the one in keeps going down, which means the prevalence of autism keeps going up exponentially. I remember when my son was diagnosed. I think we were at one in eighty, one in hundred and eighty-nine, um, and you know, then it was one in one sixty-five, and then it was one in one ten, and then it was one in you know eighty-nine, one in sixty-nine, one in fifty-nine. We're at one in fifty-four. Now, some other things that came out of this most recent um, CDC uh, prevalence number. They always look at the difference, the disparity in the number of white children, the number of black children, and the number of Hispanic children. And I don't know that they're looking at the number of children of Asian descent. I hope that they are. That never makes the headline, though, can I just say? Um, but there's always been a disparity that there have been more kids who were white in the prevalence. Uh, and it started out, it was by far. And of course, um, there's no evidence to show that autism is discriminant in terms of race at all. So most, the general consensus about that was that, ooh, it looks like white children are the only ones who are getting access to, um, first of all, diagnosis, and then to treatment. Well, this year for the first time, the numbers for white children versus black children was equal, uh, or relatively equal. And, um, and everybody's saying, oh, well, then we're getting much closer to an accurate uh, depiction of what the real picture is. They noted this year that uh, Hispanic children still uh, are lagging in the number of diagnoses and no one is pretending it's anything other than access to diagnosis and treatment. But I also wanna say that while I said something before about there's no evidence to show that um, autism uh, is uh, discriminate in terms of race. And that's not entirely true. Um, there, there is some um, evidence, there is some Uh, contention over the fact that um, it is possible that black children are more affected in certain circumstances. So while everybody's celebrating and saying, oh, we're getting much closer to an accurate depiction because the white and the black children are equal this year, I would say that there's a big fat asterisk after that and that we might in time find that that is not accurate. Um, So we'll see we'll see what happens with that. Um, But the call to action from these numbers of course is to continue to look for what are the contributory factors um, to autism. They are saying, they did a separate um, study the last few years looking at not only eight-year-olds but four-year-olds and just to sort of compare about early diagnosis because, you know, years ago it was that the average age of diagnosis I think was seven or eight. And I think that's why they started with age eight. But we all know that that's that's way too late uh, to get a diagnosis if we can help it. Early intervention is the key, so let's get that diagnosis early. So they started looking at four-year-olds too to just get a feeling for uh, what the situation is. And what they, uh, two years ago, It was that 74 percent of four-year-olds had been screened for autism. Now two years later we're seeing that 84 percent of four-year-olds have had a screening for autism. That's a huge jump, it's not perfect, but it's definitely going in the right direction. Uh, this despite the fact that uh, even though everything we know says early detection and getting in there and getting the diagnosis is the key, um, that the organization that makes recommendations to pediatricians did not feel in the last time that they put out a report that early screening for autism was necessary. And, you know, what I say to those folks, ha, put two, you know, what are you doing and how are you sleeping at night? Because it's preposterous that anybody who, like, did any research at all could think that that was a good idea. Hmm. Um, you know, I hope, I hope if people are being furloughed, I hope those people get furloughed first. Now that wasn't nice of me, was it? Uh, that's all right. I'm not necessarily nice today. Uh, and you'll you know you'll forgive me or judge me. I'm okay with either. <laughs> I'm in that mode today. It's like, woo. Okay. Uh, the other uh, the other uh, news that we had for you this morning, I thought was interesting. I really wanted Nancy's take on this and I don't know where or what has happened. Um, So, and I've texted her, so hopefully everything is okay. Uh, No, that's Vince. Okay. So I thought Nancy was going to be here, but um, I do want to say quickly that CBS did a report earlier this week about some of the challenges that families are facing at home who are dealing with autism and how, hi Vince. Hello. Can we stop for just a second and say happy birthday to this man? Because it was his birthday yesterday. And Vince, we adore you. I hope you had a great birthday. I know it was challenged, uh, but happy, happy birthday. We adore you. Thank you. That was very <laughs>
2: nice. I Did was you...
1: sequestered,
2: but <laughs> safe stay responsible. You know, had spent time with the family, had a nice drive down the coast just to get out. It was oh, nice. Oh,
1: that's nice. Yeah. I, you know, I think we all need to start, um, you know, I love on Pinterest, they have all kinds of crafts that you can do and, and they use things that you can use around the house. If you have an old roll of, um, not toilet paper, that's gold right now, but uh, wrapping paper, you can turn it over and the other side is white and you can make a big poster on a wall that you can write on, right? Make sure it's thick enough that you don't have indelible marker go through to your wall. But I wanna start making a list of things that we're gonna do when this is all over. And one of the things that we're gonna do when this is all over is that we're gonna celebrate your birthday with you. We're we're gonna get our our Vince party mode on. (laughs) So here's Nancy. Hi. Hail, hail the gang's all here. We're all here, we've got dogs too. Well, I have one too, and this is just the, the, the way the speed at which we do things, but Nancy, if you want to turn on your camera, then we'll be able to see you and the dogs.
3: Okay. I'm gonna.
1: It's at the bottom. the little, There you are. Miss Nancy. Hi, yeah. Hello. Yeah.
3: Hello. Um, and
1: anytime you need a moment of privacy for whatever reason, you guys, you can self mute and you can, um, self, uh, do your camera. Okay. Uh, If if you need to take a break from it all, but welcome to both of you. And Nancy, I was just about to cover our second um, story. I already talked about the new CDC uh, prevalence numbers, but I was going to cover the second story and I'm kind of glad that Vince is here to talk with us. Vince, there was a story that CBS did earlier this week about um, families that are home and their either their therapy has stopped. Or they're struggling to keep their therapy um, during this time of isolation and trying to pare down their teams and desperately holding on to their teams when they can. And I'm so glad you're both here to talk about this because this is a challenging time. Yeah, and we're
3: one of those families, Shannon.
1: I was just going to say, I really wanted to talk about this with you, Nancy. And because you know, there's a lot of criticism out there. Obviously, we all need to be self-isolating as much as we can and participating in that. However, I just want to point out that, you know, for instance, for people who are on dialysis, they have to go to the dialysis center and and the people who um, give them dialysis are working to ensure that they can have that medically necessary treatment. And ABA is considered a medically necessary treatment. Um, Now, some families have made the hard decision, Vince, to stop. Um, that fortunately their children are are doing well enough that the family is saying, you know, I think for safety's sake, we have to try this on our own. And that's a tough decision in and of itself. Is it not, Vince? Yeah, it is a
2: tough decision. I mean, obviously the decision's individualized based on the needs of their children, the needs of their family, and also, you know, who they live with, what are the dynamics in which they live, right? Maybe they live with elderly grandparents or parents, Maybe they have a child or a family member that has a compromised immune system for, you know, various different reasons. So there's a lot of decisions that have to be played individually by the families before they make that decision if they're going to continue with ABA or not.
1: Yeah. And I just want to point out that no one should be judging those families. If they have stopped or diminished ABA, no one should be judging them. And I I want people to know that um, at CARD, We're working hard every day to get resources to those folks who've decided to go it alone because we know how hard that choice can be and we want to continue to support. There's all kinds of telehealth things that are happening at CARD to help support those families. But let's talk for a second on the other side of it, the families who have said, you know, we we believe that this is medically necessary. We don't think we're going to survive without this. We want to continue having therapists come to the home. And Nancy, you're one of those families that you are continuing, correct? Yes, we're continuing,
3: although we have some therapists that are not choosing to come.
1: Yes. Uh, so and that's, that's, all, that's, that's a reality, too, that each therapist and each BCBA and each person who is working with kiddos on the autism spectrum has the choice to decide whether they have the bandwidth to do this. And for some of the same reasons that Vince was talking about, if they have a family member at home who's immune compromised, it's not advisable for them to do it. But can we just talk for a moment about the heroes who have said, yes, I can and yes, I will, who are still going to the homes? Because I I am humbled, humbled by these people and how heroic they have been and the homes that they are going into. And every day I hear from parents, Nancy, like you who have said, can you please get a message back to them saying this means so much to all of us that it's the only way that we're keeping the wheels on and that we're keeping it together is that we have somebody coming to our house. How are you finding it, Nancy?
3: Well, I'm so appreciative of the therapist that's coming his therapist that's chosen to remain practicing. And um, we've had some fill-ins too from other therapists that are willing to to come do the work. So we're just incredibly appreciative because Wyatt's had a really hard time with this whole concept and he's had a hard time being out of school and being out of his everyday activities. And the therapists are very good about explaining it to him, uh, helping him get a handle on the situation. And just helping me in general with some of his adjustments.
1: Yeah, because Nancy, I know that one of the things that you've always done is that you keep Wyatt busy, right? He's got one one thing after another that he goes to. He does therapy, and then he goes and he does his little league, and and he swims and karate. Karate. You tutoring. like have, that child has the child. He's eighteen now, but he has the busiest schedule of anybody I know. But it helps him to regulate his anxiety, right? Definitely.
3: Keeping him busy and keeping him on a schedule, which is something we've done. We've created a schedule for this time, which we're really strict about. He goes and looks at his schedule every half hour to see where he is. Uh, That's something we did with the help of our supervisor, who has still continued to work with us during this time, which has been invaluable
1: amazing so Vince is a perfect segue for you to jump in we asked you to come today to talk about anxiety because look if we're kidding ourselves and saying oh no I'm not having anxiety I think I don't can't we all admit we're all having anxiety and all of our kids are having anxiety this is anxiety provoking so Vince I know you did a great PTA call for us the other night with uh, the card families and talked about this and it was so helpful so let's Let's talk about some anxiety here. All right, Let's I'm gonna it. let you talk, I'm gonna drop my camera out so that your camera is bigger. Here we go. Well, I think the first thing is what you just mentioned
2: is, is acknowledging it, acknowledging and accepting that we are in a very anxious time, right? This is, the, you know, COVID-19 is just, you know, what I kept calling fire on top of the anxiety that we already are having. Right? We already have plenty of anxiety, as Nancy was talking about. We have schedules. We have things that we need to, you know, uh, uh, for our uh-huh. kids that, um, you know, uh, have different events and different activities and different things. They depend on that schedule for calm um, predictability in what their days are going to be like. Now, as we all know, everybody's schedule changed, uh-huh. not just our children. Our schedules have changed. Schools have changed. Um You know, life, you know, life at home is much different than it was two weeks ago. So for our children, especially many of our children who don't understand what's going on, they're experiencing higher levels of anxiety. Sometimes that leads to behaviors, which just increases our anxiety for, you know, uh, how are we going to manage um, their anxiety? So what happens? We have that spiral effect that as our anxiety goes up, their anxiety goes up. And as our unpredictability goes up, their unpredictability up. So the first step, again, is just acknowledging it, acknowledging that we're all in it right now in an environment that is extremely unpredictable. We don't know what's happening day to day, but yet we can control only certain things. And that's where our focus needs to be is on what are the things that we can control to keep some predictability in our own environments, in our own schedules. What Nancy is doing with Wyatt is fantastic. Create your own schedules, create your schedule at home, which might differ a little bit day to day, but it's then gonna have something of a predictability factor for all of us, right? We're able to see what we're going to do next. We're able to plan out activities. We're able to plan out outings to go for walks, take the dog to the park, those types of things. Try to bring some normalcy to that schedule, right now, when we get anxious, a couple things happen. The first thing that happens is our minds start thinking of a lot of things as our anxiety and our our emotions start to increase, right? So as they increase, we start to breathe a little faster, our blood pressure goes up, we start to think a little faster, and before you know it, we feel like we're a train going 100 miles an hour, trying to figure out. The world. What can we do to fix the neighbors? What can we do to fix our grandparents? What can we do to fix our children? What can we do? And we forget the one person who's in charge of all of that. You. We forget to take care of ourselves. And that's where it has to start. If we're not taking care of ourselves first, then there's the trickle-down effect where our anxiety just creates more anxiety for all that's around us. So in order to control what we can control, we start with ourselves. Let's start with ourselves. Let's help control ourselves. And the best way that we can do that, at least one technique in the very beginning, the very basic is going back to the very basics, which is just breathing, right? Our breath and the way we breathe sends different messages to our brains. So if we have fast, rapid breathing and we're doing what's called chest breathing, so we're breathing just from our chest, which are more rapid, short breaths, we're sending messages to our brain that we are in an anxious state and we're heading towards fight or flight, right? That's obviously not the message we want if we're trying to make decisions and we're trying to make uh, resolutions to the anxiety and the problems around us. So the first step with that is Let's control our breathing so we can send the message to our brains that we are calming, we're going into a problem-solving state, we're going to be able to think cognitively, be able to work through things logically and reasonably. So the first way to do that is through controlled breathing. Now, I can spend a whole lot of time on the details of it, but I'm just going to go through the very basics of the breathing. So... It is a little bit systematic. It's not just breathing, because if we do it just on our own, we do those chest breaths, and whatever, right? And before you know it, we are heading towards fight and flight, which is not the best state to be in if we're trying to make decisions for ourselves and for our families. So the first step to control breathing is breathing through your nose, slowly, carefully, slowly filling up your, Lungs, pushing up from your diaphragm until your lungs are completely full. You hold hold it there for three seconds and then slowly release through your mouth, making a puckering with your lips and letting it out. Okay? The best way to remind this, to give yourself a visual is you always want to smell the flowers and blow out the birthday candles, right? Now you can do, you do those breaths 10 times, right? Maybe more if we're really anxious, but at minimum 10 times. 10 slow controlled breaths will help you slow down your systems, slow down your thinking, be able to get yourself past the, emo- or past the emotional stake and back into a cognitive reality to where you can now think through things. So this is a technique you can take anywhere with you, right? So if you're feeling anxious, you feel out of control, you feel that you need to control the situation, so take a step, take your step aside, focus on your breathing, do 10 controlled breaths, just like we said, through the nose. Out the mouth, right? And then you'll bring yourself back to a cognitive thought where you can then think your way, what is the best resolution for this? Who can I ask for support? What are my resources around me? And how do we proceed from there? Okay? It's a very stressful time right now. We're all in a very stressful situation, but we can control ourselves, and by controlling our breathing and controlling the way we think and relax or calm, I guess is a better way of saying it, that gives our minds and that gives our subconscious that sense of control, that you can control something, and then that gives us that confidence to be able to look at the other things in our lives that we can control.
1: Wonderful, Vince. And Nancy, you have the ability to turn your camera on and off whenever you want to. Um, I just want to say, Vince, uh, what a perfect analogy, the blowing out the the candles, because it was Vince's birthday. (laughs) And so many people are writing in and saying, happy birthday to you, Vince. Thanks. Oh, happy birthday, Vince. Yes, it was yesterday. And uh, we shout out. We have a a viewer who's watching from Romania. So shout out uh, there. Um, I, I gotta say Vince, you know, this is one of the most amazing magic tricks in the world because breathing is available to all of us at any point at any time and it's free. And, (laughs) uh, and yet we forget, we forget even when you were doing this with a group of parents the other day, you did this and I, I could just feel the difference in the entire group from before and after. And I felt it in myself, Nancy, how about you? Were you doing the breathing?
3: Just now, I was I was playing along, and I, it definitely helped me. You
1: know, yeah. it's
3: something that's so simple it's but bad right? about it.
1: I mean,
2: right, and I think it's because breathing is an autonomic behavior, right? It's something that just happens, and we never we really hardly ever think about it unless we're running out of breath, right? So when we're running or we're exercising heavily, or maybe we're in the altitude and stuff like that, and our breathing gets a little different than normal. Then it pops into our conscious like, "Wow, I'm kind of out of breath." And then I, all I did was walk up the stairs. And there's usually a, you know, a logical explanation. Like I said, altitude, or maybe you just worked out. But other than that, breathing usually stays within ourself, you know, our subconscious, and we don't think about it. And that's the idea here is that is something that we can control that helps us calm ourselves because anxiety just raises our awareness it i mean it's a self-defense it raises our awareness it raises our observations of our environment and it prepares us for danger more or less right but sometimes that's that's not the message we want to be sending our brains because right now we don't want to be worried about danger we want to be worried about responsibility precaution what how can i best support my family how can i best protect my family and obviously there's you know tons and tons of instructions out there right now about how safely to do that, and we just need to access that information and use it to the best of our ability. So panicking and uh, you know, uh, keeping our anxiety high is actually not a defense. It's actually hurting us. So if we can control ourselves, get ourselves back into that cognitive thinking, we can think that we can think and problem solve through anything.
1: Yeah. And the fact that it's just, uh, you know, we talk a lot on the show about three breaths, Uh, but I got to say the 10 is exponentially better, but I still love that 10 breaths is going to take us a minute. um, So we can do it and we can do it while we're driving. We can do it while we're changing a diaper. We can do it while we're talking to our kids. And um, just last night, we were talking to Karen Nolte about some of the research around coping strategies And and she was suggesting that when we do these things for ourselves and we model them in front of our kids, it's one of the best ways of teaching our kids. And then instead of what happens a lot, our instinct as parents is when our kids start to escalate, we start to give them orders and say, do your 10 breaths, do this, do that. And that in the moment, not the best thing to do research says. When they're calm, right. But when they're starting to escalate, Her research uh, that she had uh, collected together had said that the best thing that we can do is say, I'm feeling stressed, I'm going to take 10 breaths, and then model it for the child that's escalating. That that was found to be more effective than saying to them, now you do your breaths, so we really have to put that oxygen mask on ourselves first. And I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. So um, Vince, we have a couple of questions that have come in. Are you in in the mood to take a question or two? Absolutely. Uh, Okay. It's just a question of whether I can negotiate all of my uh, technology to see. Okay. So the first one, my four-year-old has always stemmed on my hair. It's mostly a comfort thing, but now he's even manding for hair. How can I change uh, this behavior? It's okay, but only sometimes he asks other people. Did I lose you, Vince? I think Vince is frozen. Okay, so Are you there? Breaking up a little frozen, bit. Yeah, from yeah. what I understand,
2: oh, is that there's okay. A Did you
1: hear? So they're manding for hair. So he likes to touch mom's hair, and it's a comfort thing for him that helps mm-hmm. him to reduce his anxiety. But now, as he's starting to mand, he's even manding for it—that he wants to touch her hair—and she's saying, you know, it doesn't particularly bother her, but you know, he's wanting to do it to other people.
2: Right. So one of the things that they might think of, and and again, I don't know if this has been something that's been recommended to them in the past, is maybe have a doll or have a different stuffed animal that has hair that's similar to real hair, right? So not something that's just matted, but something that might have real hair like a horse's mane or, you know, maybe a doll that has, you know, a, a, a hair that locks down so that they can go ahead and pet that. And what mom can do is do that with them show them it's okay show them that they can pet this as a sense you know as a sensory outlet because that's most likely what it is um you know it feels good it helps calm it helps soothe and be able to transition that stimuli from mom's head to the doll and now they're not going to be able to do that without mom being able to do it with them show him it's okay show them it's safe show them it's it may be even fun
1: yeah, absolutely, um, and I, you know, and I, I know that some kids have been taught to feel their own hair too, as a, as a way to calm themselves. Um, so that's another thing too. And then, as as kids get older, when they're taught rule oriented behavior. Um, you, he can be taught how to ask permission to touch mom's hair and that it's not okay to ask other people because there's lessons. Because this particular parent, I happen to know Vince, is a, is a card parent. Um, okay. So they can absolutely work with their supervisor to take this from you know, what you do with a very young child up through when he's older. So I, I would certainly say talk to your supervisor, have them target this behavior and what, how they treat it now with for a little is vastly different than how they would treat it for an older kid. Um,
2: Absolutely. And that's a good point. Age and, uh, you know, level of, uh, programming that they're in now has a lot to play into that. And so that's, yeah. that's a very good point.
1: Um, plus, you know, we're in different circumstances now than we've ever been. So, um, okay. Then, uh, we've got another question here. Hello. Our oldest son, six years old has autism. Currently, we feel like we're in a good spot with him and behavior, occasional issues, but much less frequent. However, since we've been getting his behavior more under control, our two younger children, four and a half years old and two and a half years old, really seem to be imitating his behavior, particularly our four and a half year old son. We really are at a loss of how to help them understand that there are behaviors that their older brother does that are not acceptable and that he is struggling and that we need to help him. But he idolizes his older brother and wants to be just like him. Do you have any guidance on how to deal with younger siblings in these scenarios? And they said, thank you.
2: Yeah. No problem. Yeah, and that and that's actually very common, right? It's very common for the younger siblings to model off of their older siblings, um, just in general, right? And now when your older sibling has um, developmental disability, they don't know that some of those behaviors that the child's um, exhibiting aren't socially appropriate or maybe aren't functionally appropriate. They just know that when that child is doing those behaviors, they get attention, they get a reaction from people, they get mom and dad's attention, they have therapists coming in to work with them, um, right? So they want that attention too. So it's more of a, you know, oftentimes an attention seeking behavior, but in a very, you know, in a, in a, a very innocent way. So the one thing that, uh, you know, just the first thing that pops in my mind is making sure that the behaviors addressed the same for all the kids. So if the, uh, you know, the identified, You know, a a client or, or a child who has a disability is doing it, and there's a prescribed behavior plan for it. Do the same thing for the siblings. Don't give attention for it. Make sure that they understand that that's not appropriate. And there's a replacement behavior. This is what you're supposed to do one of the things we always recommend is that you know behavior plans and token systems and all of those are for all the kids at home so there's that commonality and there's that sameness for everybody you know johnny's not getting treated any different than jane or timmy right they're all following the same expectations which would be maybe no tantruming you know if asked to Put the PlayStation away, or you know, or there's an expectation to clean up your toys after you're done playing with it. While that might be harder for, um, you know, our our children, it's still the same expectation as what we want for all the siblings. And so, one of the things to look at, just in yourselves and how we're looking at the home, do we have the same expectations, or do we rely on the same expectations for all the kids?
1: Yeah, and, and in both our cases with Nancy, and by the way, we're welcoming Leah Hirschfeld, who's our next guest, who's joined, who joined us. Hi, Leah. Hi, oh, Leah. Um, we're just finishing up with Vince, the birthday boy, um, who we so appreciate. And, um, but n- Nancy and I, both of us, uh, we were only blessed with only children. So we don't have the sibling thing going on as much as I think both of us would have loved to have had other kids. We don't have the the sibling thing going on. But I think both Nancy and I can attest to that all the families that we've met who have neurotypical siblings in addition to their uh, siblings that are on the autism spectrum, while while it's not easy and, and I can't even imagine what you're going through, I can tell you from the future that those kiddos grow up to be the most incredible people on the face of the planet that the skill set that they that they get from growing up with having a sibling on the autism spectrum they are the most kind considerate caring um flexible um people that I've ever met. Uh, When I meet somebody and they go, oh, I have a sibling on the autism spectrum. It's always one of those things of, oh yeah, I could have guessed that because they're real rock stars. So Nancy, don't you find that to be the truth?
3: I think anybody that has a child with a disability, anybody that has a sibling grows up to be much more compassionate and understanding of all situations i mean it and nancy
1: speaks from experience there because nancy's the perfect example of this nancy had a brother who uh had down syndrome correct that's correct right and so look what that turned out one of the we kindest people
3: we were always Absolutely. taught to view it as a gift and that we were chosen as a family rather than being victims so uh, that's something you can instill in your children that give them a sense of responsibility about it. Say so you're special for having a special sibling, and uh, empower them with that message.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, Vince. I, we have to we have to pivot now to Leah. But thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. I hope you get good birthday weekend vibe.
0: Happy birthday, Vince!
1: Thank you, Leah. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, and you know it, it was my pleasure being here this morning. Wait one second before you go. I feel like we should all do a Brady Bunch moment. Like we should all look up and look down and look. <laughs> does it, doesn't it feel like we're we're doing the Brady Bunch? It does. I want to be. Really I want to be Alice. Me. I want to be Alice. Right? It's a Brady Bunch moment. Okay. Thank you for humoring me. Uh, bye, Vince. We love you. Bye,
2: Vince. Bye, right, guys. Have a great day. Okay. Thank you. You too. too.
1: Uh, and so we are welcoming Leah Hirschfeld to be with us and, and Leah, it's very exciting. It's the first time we've had you on since we've been in, in our self, uh, seclusion mode, but thank you for taking the time for being with us.
0: Of course. Thank you guys so much for having me. And it was, um, I'll plug Vince there. That was such a lovely response and it was such a pleasure to get to hear it too. It was, it was delightful.
1: Absolutely. He's the best of the best. Um, So Leah, for people who are tuning in for the first time, uh, tell us what you do at CARD and what you're going to share with us.
0: Absolutely. Um, So I am a research coordinator here at CARD on our research and development team. What that means is I spend my day trying to answer questions that we think will um, either help our families either through additional information about therapy services or help them on the back end of with insurance companies, things like that. Um, I also get to spend my time answering questions from supervisors. So supervisors might say, um, you know, I have a kid with X, Y, and Z. We've tried X, Y, and Z. It's not working. Um, Is there any empirical research out there that can help us because you know card ABA services were very data driven um, So that is something that we try to provide. We don't just try to experiment on people Um, (laughs) So I spend a lot of my day answering questions going through research papers um, and trying to kind of figure out the best um, Empirically backed data um, and research for our kiddos and our families and the insurance companies um,
1: Wonderful. So what are you going to share with us today? And then Nancy and I are going to drop our cameras out so you get the full screen.
0: Oh, excellent. I'm thrilled. <laughs> um, so I love sharing it with you lovely ladies. So um, so today what I have, I have a bunch actually. Um, but So first I'd like to talk about telehealth. I know um, if I was a parent, um, and I'm not currently, or that I know of, actually I would know that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um Uh, So I wanted to talk about telehealth and how telehealth works and um, some empirically backed studies that does indicate telehealth is a lovely choice for you and your child. Um, I want to talk about screen time. So I know a lot of kiddos and a lot of families are probably um, having a lot more screen time and screen access than typical. So talking about that. Um, And then if I have the time, I'd also like to plug a potential um, e-book situation. Um, so, So...
1: Absolutely. Take it away. We can go right to the top of the hour, but i got to stop right at the top of the hour.
0: Okay, perfect. I've got 11 minutes. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you guys so much. And thank you so much for having me on. Um, It's always a highlight, so it's nice to close the week out with it. Um, So first and foremost, what I want to talk about is there was an article by Vismara and um, colleagues that came out in 2018 that was looking at telehealth. And so what that program looked like is they were um, doing one and a half hour video conferencing. So with a supervisor and a parent, Um, and then that supervisor was helping the parent run sessions with their child, answering any questions the parent came up um, during the week, things like that. And then on top of that, the parent also had access to um, videos that were coaching and, and things like that, that were, Um, you know, all of the ABA jargon. Um, And so what they compared were doing 12 weekly one and a half hour video conferencing sessions, along with the the videos that the parent could watch at any point, compared with a group that had monthly one and a half hour video sessions and also the access to the video. So the only thing they were changing there was weekly versus monthly. Um, And what they found was super lovely, I think, um, was that the video conferencing was extremely helpful. All the parents felt very good. They did a survey after, um, all the parents felt very good and, um, strong about their skills. They also saw improvements with their children. Um, and so that's first off great, right? Like we, we see some empirical data that very recent 2018, this isn't from 2006, which there are studies about that also show this. So this has been going on for a very long time. but we do have evidence here that telehealth is is an excellent alternative if you're nervous about people coming into your home or if you don't have the option of having home sessions telehealth is a very very good one um, to keep progress going with your child Um, so first off regardless of, of anything telehealth excellent um and then second off what they found too was that the parents that were in the weekly versus the monthly Um, saw and felt more comfortable with the telehealth. And that makes sense, Um, you know, as they're doing telehealth, as they're doing it more frequently, the parents, the kiddos, the supervisors, everyone involved feels a lot better. Um, You get into the rhythm of it. You can potentially have more gains as you get more comfortable. Um, So really what I want to plug there is telehealth is a great alternative. Um, Don't be scared of it. You can be nervous about it. That's totally reasonable, um, but please give it a try. Um, And to also recognize the supervisor might be nervous about it, too. So be comfortable sharing both of your nervousness about it and to kind of troubleshoot walk through it. But please give it a try. Telehealth is an excellent um, alternative if people are concerned and appropriately so during this time period. Um, And then also do it frequently. Um, You know, don't don't just do it every once a month. Do it every week if you can, if your insurance covers it, um, if your job allows for it, things like that. Um, the more that you practice telehealth, the better it'll come, the better outcomes you'll see. Um, and on top of that, you can continue doing telehealth once, and we will get out of this COVID-19 situation. Um, once we are out of it, um, telehealth is something that you can potentially continue doing, um, every once a week, every two weeks, whatever it looks like, especially if it's been hard for you as a parent to get to the center or to make time with a supervisor to be working through those coaching things. So this is a time where we could also use that as a potential to then continue that down the line. Um, So telehealth, very cool, very exciting stuff. Like I said, I have articles from the early 2000s talking about this. So it's not even that new. It's just that we're a little hesitant and reasonably so. Um, But it has some great alternatives. Do it frequently um, and work with your supervisor and your clinical team to, to kind of work through that. Um that's my first I just, article.
1: I yeah. just want to jump in for a second to say, you know, for cuz this is uncharted territory for a lot of people and Nancy feel free to jump back in too uh-huh. cuz I know Nancy has continued to do therapy and have therapists coming to the home but I imagine that they've also have they offered you telehealth as well Nancy? Yes, they have. Have you tried it yet? We have not tried
3: telehealth yet. We've been doing of course, Wyatt has been doing online learning at school, but we haven't yeah. done it with our ABA program.
1: But I would love to challenge you, Nancy, if you have time in this next week, before we come back next week, to like ask your supervisor if at least one of, because you're still meeting with your supervisor and she's still coming to the home, and that's great, but I would I would love it if you would ask her, hey, could we do one of these sessions on telehealth so that I can speak intelligently to this about how this was for me and how it went? So that you can add to um, what parents, because I, I know any time that somebody is helping us to learn about our kids, for me, it was painful. It was painful because I, I want to appear like I have it together and I want to be my kid's mom. And I want to, you know, we all have this thing that when we have, when our kids are in our arms, we feel like we're supposed to know everything about them. And it's very humbling when we don't. And right. I don't like feeling like an idiot. And I especially don't like feeling like an idiot about something I care deeply about. Uh-huh. Right? I never want to appear unprepared, and especially where my kiddo is concerned. So whenever somebody is teaching us about our kiddos, it's hard to begin with. Um, and, and, and I do think that you know we've all gotten accustomed to, to a certain extent, that face-to-face thing. I'm just going to guess that for some of us, it would be easier... To do it in telehealth because it, we don't we're we're a little less self-conscious. I still don't want to appear like an idiot, uh, right? Um, so we got to humble ourselves to say there's things this person who probably is younger than me is going to be able to teach me about my kid. I know it's painful, um, but I'm um, I'm going to guess Nancy that it might be more convenient and that it might feel more comfortable once you get used to the technology. But I'd love for you to try that out for me.
3: Right. Well, we have a clinic coming up next week. So I don't know whether that's planned to be doing, you know, whether we're planning to do that online. Okay. So we'll see. Will you
1: report back to us next week? Yes, definitely. definitely. We'll do a little of our own research, Leah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. Wonderful.
1: Okay. So what was your next thing? And we'll, and we'll turn our cameras off.
0: I mean, I'm also, I'm happy to share the screen. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll also plug too, um, your supervisors are in your clinical team. Telehealth is probably very new for them as well. Um, so be kind there too. They probably also, you know, they they don't want to look like idiots either. Um, and so they're trying their best, but there's probably going to be like technical issues, things like that, that are happening. Um, and just work through them kindly. I
1: chewed up a bunch of your time. Now you've only got four minutes.
0: That's okay. I can talk quick. I got this. Okay. Um, and I, I came onto the show with like a lot of information. So, um, I'll get through what I can. So um, quickly, the last three articles I wanted to talk about were about screen time, because um, I can only assume that people are having a lot more access to screens and, and questioning, you know, is it bad that my kid is watching hours of TV or, or whatnot? Um, so I, I have a few studies, one quickly, about um, by um, Jensen and their colleagues that just came out in 2019. Um, Very, very new, didn't look with kids with disabilities or autism, just typically neurotypical children, um, adolescents, and looked at digital digital technology and mental health symptoms. Um, So not directly necessarily our population, but just generally um, for neurotypical kids, it is additional screen time detrimental, especially in the mental health field. Um, And they did not find any links to it or evidence for it. Um, so that's really really nice to see
1: yeah
0: surprising but great um so quick plug on that that your kiddos are probably again we don't know everything and it. this they were doing surveys there's like i whenever i come on i'm always trying to to say you know scientists are humans too they're trying their best but there are flaws um so there are certainly flaws in this group Um, but for the most part, you know, their, their findings were that there was little evidence, um, to no linkage of like, uh, adverse effects on the mental health for, again, these are typically developing neurotypical young adolescents, but.
1: But that's encouraging all the same. So we can cut ourselves a little bit of slack and, and we've got enough other things to worry about. Maybe take that one off the plate for this week.
3: Right. Okay. There's a lot of extra screen time going on this week. Yes. Oh, yes.
1: Oh, Yes. Um, Um, Okay. And how do you want to wind this up?
0: (laughs) So I'm winding and I'm I'm winding. Okay. Okay. So, okay. I've got two minutes. Okay. So um, the last thing I want to talk about is um, I found two articles, fairly recent 2016 and 2015 that we're looking at. And I don't know this show, but um, it, it, apparently people are into it. It's called um, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. It's a spinoff. I think of Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Yes.
1: It's great. Yeah. I hear it's
3: wonderful.
0: That's what I've heard. Um, And so, and the research also supports that. Um, So I have two articles um, talking about Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. One are Typically Developing Kids Again um, and about the impact of watching Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood on um, encouraging emotional and social, social social-emotional health. Um, And in addition to that, I found an article that um, did look at children with ASD, only two. So again, like I usually plug, be mindful of the fact that two kids is very small. Um, so there's, you can only take away so much from that, take it with a grain of salt. But they did find that um, watching Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood taught two, these two children with ASD um, two different skills. One was um, accepting new foods and one was stopping play appropriately. Um, and they found that after watching the, the show, they actually were doing those skills really lovely and, and better than they were at baseline. Um. That is 11 a.m. on the. Uh, yes, okay. Host. Thank you so <laughs> much.
1: You did it. You did it. And We appreciate you so much. I'm gonna um, log off with a couple of things here. First of all, Nancy, you can turn your camera back on if you want to. Thank you so much for being here. Okay. And we'll for hopefully next week we'll have more time to talk with you. Um, somebody did write in who is a mom of someone on the spectrum, but also has a student that she's an aide for that has a particularly icky thing where they're blowing their nose and eating it um, and, and wanting some help and support with that. And I, and I want to say, since you're an aide in the classroom, there is very likely a BCBA who is assigned to that case. And now, while schools are shut down, is the perfect time to reach out to that BCBA and say, I need you to do a behavior a, a, a FBA, a functional behavior assessment, and I want a behavior intervention plan because it is preventing socialization with the other kiddos plus it's a health concern and, and it can be something that's targeted at home during this period of time when people are home. But get that, BCBA who has eyes on the case, to help and support you. And then the next time we're here, we'll try to give you some strategies as well. But ladies, we're back next week. And next week is World Autism Awareness Day and Temple Grandin will be with us on that show. Woohoo! Fantastic. Live, picture and sound, the whole nine yards we're thrilled. And we got a big week for you. So um, I'm going to sign off here. But ladies, thank you for being here and thank all of you for being here. Thank you, Leah. Thank, thank you.
0: Thank you guys so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Okay. I'll sign off as Thank well. you.
1: We'll be back on Monday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And give yourselves a hug from me. All right. Bye-bye, you guys. Bye-bye for
0: now. Bye-bye.